Welcome to Big Girl Poker Chat, hosted by Donna Blevins, the big girl of poker at six feet five inches tall. This is not your average poker podcast. Donna and her guests talk about poker in a way you've never heard before. Listen in and learn about how to play the game and how to win at life. Find show notes for this show and more great content on the blog at biggirlpoker.com. And now, Donna Blevins. Well, hi, this is Donna Blevins, and welcome to Big Girl Poker Chat. Since I always respond to what listeners ask me, I have more treats for you today. We're going to focus on tales and real-world poker. We're going to talk about some good strategy tips, why it's good to be drawn out on. You're going to love that. And on top of that, how to avoid tilt. Now, I know that your ears have perked up because all of this will improve your game. But first, before we begin chatting, I want to remind you about the Bravo Poker Live app. I love it. I downloaded it directly to my Android phone as well as my desktop computer. Several of my coaching clients downloaded it on their iPhones and love it as well. Now, this is real-time, responsive app makes it a breeze to check out the current live action and tournaments in your local card rooms. You know how it works is like magic. It's linked directly into the Bravo Poker Room Management System. You know, the one that you sign up on and then you see your name on the screens that are above. You see them as you go in the list. And it shows you what games are being spread, even how many people are on the waiting list. Any serious poker player must use this app. You can download it free at bravopokerlive.com. Well, today... Mike Caro is with me, and he's known as the mad genius of poker. Mike is one of my dearest friends and respected experts in the poker world. I was fortunate to meet Mike in the year 2000 on a card player cruise to Alaska. And Mike says in order to overcome any odds against you, your decisions must really matter. And that's my first and foremost advice. You must make correct decisions every single time. So welcome, Mike Caro. We're on the same page. Indeed we are, Donna, and we have been for quite some time. You know, years ago I wrote an article called What the Tell. Tell me about tells in the real world of poker today and how to read your opponents at the table. Well, that would be a subject that would take longer than we have today. However, it's important that your listeners understand the basics of tells. And it's simply this. When people are out in the real world, they don't have to lie all the time. But in poker, you essentially have to lie all the time. Now, you may not like that terminology, and it's kind of a tricky way of emphasizing a point but the point is like you're you're really trying to disguise your hands at all time otherwise you would turn your cards face up on the table and that would be the truth but you're trying to conceal that truth and so an important part of poker is obviously concealing the truth deception and that is actually a form of lying so People are sometimes coming from the real real world. They come to the poker table and they feel uncomfortable. 
They're uncomfortable because of this truth, that they have to conceal the truth of their hands. They have to hope that their opponents are confused, that they are misleading their opponents, because that's where the prophet comes from. And then uh, really strange things happen. Most people, even when they get up to an average and beyond level of expertise at poker, because they feel uncomfortable, they try to deceive by doing exactly the opposite of the real strength of their hands. So if they have a strong hand, they'll attempt to act weak. And if they have a weak hand, they'll attempt to act strong. And if you'd like, I could give you some examples of how that happens. Oh, of course. Speak on. Well, have you ever been in a home game among ranked beginners and you saw somebody shrug their shoulders, sigh, and say, I bet, in a very sad voice? Well, that's always a strong that's always a strong hand. You know that, Donna, because that player is trying to act as if he or she doesn't hold very much of anything. Uh, you're shrugging your shoulders like, oh, well, you're sighing, you're disgusted. <sighs> and you're using a negative tone of voice. I bet. Well, whenever you hear that, whenever you see sadness or hear sadness, that's almost always an indication of a strong hand. That was one of the things that you taught me, Mike, one of the very first things that you taught me, because I was actually able to attend my very first training, poker training seminar. There were not many in those days in 2000. And yours was the very first one I ever attended on that card player cruise. Uh, Linda Johnson and Jan Fisher were were just talking great things about you, and I had met you, and and it really helped my game. In fact, I have, I believe I have to this day, I have every single publication you have ever done. Of all of your books, which ones would you recommend the most? Well, I, I don't know. I just, I'm speechless after that. Thank you for saying those things. And uh, uh, I always, anytime I hear something like that, it makes me feel as if my life hasn't been totally wasted. So thank you. Um, I think if I were to recommend some of my, first of all, I would recommend my free website, PokerOne.com. That's Poker in the numeral one dot com, PokerNumeral1.com, because I have most of my life work there for free. It doesn't have some of the long books, but it has uh, thousands of articles and tips and everything, kind of everything that I could teach you until we get to a really, truly professional level uh, is there. So I recommend that, and I'll say it once more because I get to pokernumeral1.com. Now, of the books that I've written, I think the two that I would recommend most are Carol's Book of Tells, The Body Language of Poker, in which we only deal with tells, and uh, Carol's Most Profitable Hold'em Advice, which is a newer book, um, that's also subtitled The Complete Missing Artic Arsenal. The Complete Missing Arsenal, so um, Book of Tells and The Complete Missing Arsenal. I love those. I love those. Your book of tales is phenomenal. I have, I have the the old VHS tape, the the original one in VHS. I've got like three of them 
because I kept I, I give them to people and 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 I have actually stock up on them to give away to people that I think is phenomenal. So, and I still well, have those. A, those are on DVD now, but the, uh, you you still have the VHS as a two set uh, two 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 VHS set, I think. And actually, that is the first. If you're familiar with the movie Rounders, that's the I am. first. That's yep. the first object that comes on screen. Wasn't that great? <laughs> yeah, he takes his stash out of the, out of the, uh, Mitel's videos. That's where he holds his money, keeps his money, and uh, I tell people at seminars that you should buy them because a lot of them might have money in it like that. <laughs> I think everybody should have these. Every single person. I mean, and it was amazing because I learned so much about the game from that. And, and you know, Mike, our background is different, but what we believe, I, be, I, I believe that what we, what we what believe, what we believe is very similar because my background has to do with sales and marketing. And when you're dealing with salesmanship, you have to read what other people are thinking or doing, and you change your style to match their style. The things that I learned in sales translate perfectly to the poker table. And it's really interesting how what I have actually done, image projection was one of the things that I that I dealt with as a professional speaker back in the 80s, and it was about you know how your body language says who you are and how you can can really embrace your own self-esteem and how you can project that. And it's really interesting how it really parallels poker. Well, I, I certainly agree with that. And you came in it then with the right perspective. I've often said that uh, uh, you're in a business. When, when, when you, when, think of it this way. If you're trying to be a winning poker player and if you're successful, then you're in a business. And in a regular retail business, um, a brick-and-mortar store, you've heard this before, I'm sure. It's one of the most famous things in advertising or, or uh, retail business, at least, is that the secret is location, location, location. Mm-hmm. If you're right in the lo- right location, you get the traffic. Well, think of poker this way. You get to choose your own location every day. You get to pick which table you want to sit at, and you get to pick the uh, the people that you want to shop in your store. Now you're saying, okay, that's a that's a strange analogy, mad genius. Uh, I don't quite get it. Well, what am I selling? Well, here's what you're selling. You're selling your cards, because the main thing that people do that gives you money is. Basically, they play too many hands and they call too many bets. And if they didn't do that, you wouldn't make any money because opponents' main weakness is not not that uh, they're skillful opponents making mistakes, but they simply want to get in action. So they're there. They're primed to call your hands. And when you have a strong hand and they call, I consider that you made a sale. So your image and you talked a little about this at the poker table where you have your location you've chosen every day and it's just like sales people say some people say it doesn't matter it doesn't matter poker this you're doing all this you're going through all these acts putting on all this image for no reason because if they're going to call they'll call 
But you said you came from a sales background, Donna, and mm-hmm. you know you know that isn't true. You know it would be if if they were going to came in the store and if they were going to buy no matter what, uh, you wouldn't need salesmen. You know your your object is obviously good salespeople make more sales than bad salespeople, and in poker, good players with the right image create more calls and get more profit on their good hands than bad poker players. And that's how it fits in. Yeah, and so let's talk about a good good image. How does a poker player, what's your counsel for how a poker player creates that successful image, that good image, how can they do that? What would you advise? Well, I would advise to do it the way I do it. I mean, if uh, some of your listeners may have, uh, may have known something about me or read something about me or even played against me at the table sometimes. And they know that I try to make it very comfortable for my opponents to play. I giggle. I have mm-hmm. fun. I try to generate an atmosphere where everybody is having fun. And I never criticize my opponents, no matter what type of plays they do. I don't mind getting drawn out on. And, and, uh, what what I'm trying to create is an atmosphere in which it's less painful to lose specifically to me, Mike Caro, than it is to lose to the next guy. And I see professional poker players, people you would think would know better, doing absolutely the opposite of promoting this profitable image. What they do is they criticize opponents, they irritate opponents, they lose a hand, they belittle their opponents. And all that does is Two things. One, it makes opponents recognize that they're playing poorly and they want to play better in the future. And two, they won't choose you as their main opponent anymore because they don't want to get involved in a situation where it will be unpleasant to make a mistake and lose. And so, therefore, the money comes then to the mad genius, Mike Carroll, because he's over there giggling. He's fun to he's He doesn't make it painful to lose. He doesn't criticize you for playing bad hands. He says, hey, you that was, that was neat that you won and made that inside straight out of the river there. Maybe we're on to something. I did that twice yesterday. I know it probably isn't the best thing, but I think we're on a roll here. I encouraged bad play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to tell you something that I've never told you, because when I sat down across from you in a live game on the Card Player Cruise in 2000, now, I, I first learned to play poker in 1996. In 1998, I became a poker journalist, but I was still such a beginner. My game was still really ragged. I was a losing player. I was trying to learn to play the game. I had never really come away as a winner from a cash game. It kind of, I was not really a big loser, but it just leaked away and leaked away. And I want to tell you that you were the trigger that it was like helping me put the key in the slot and helping that key fit. Because I sat across me, you were in seat 10, and I was in seat probably 7. I was directly across from you, and that's where I asked to be seated. I wanted to watch you. Well, and I, uh, yes, go ahead. Well, uh, well that's very flattering. <laughs> well, and plus, plus you plus, and uh, 
people out there, the listeners are going to get irritated with this, but uh, we we go back and forth. So, plus, I I loved your. I've never been told that. I loved your mixed metaphor there, or whatever it was. First, I started out as the the trigger, and then I became the key and the lock, and all in one sentence. I love that. I'm more things than anybody ever thought I was. I love it. Well, that's it, and you are, Mike, because I watched you, and I'm I'm always in tune to watching people that are good at what they do, and you were. It was funny because you were playing your own game. And you were pretending that you were, you know, you were a little sleepy. You know, you were kind of, you know, you were kind of not paying attention. And I knew that you were paying attention. And I would watch you pull in the stacks, not not make a big deal out of winning. You would pull it. You would win a hand. You would pull the stacks in. You would, st- and I kept watching your stacks grow. And this is real cash. And I'm going, wow, I get it. He's relaxed. He, you were relaxed because you weren't you weren't hyper and upset about what was going on. You're relaxed. You're watching for opportunities, and you started pulling it in. That was the first game that I started being profitable. And during that trip, I ended up paying for my entire trip for entire card player cruise. From wow. what I wanted at the at the table, and I was able to replenish my my poker bankroll simply from watching you as 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 the illustration of what an image needed to be. And now I wasn't well. It doesn't your image. have to, it Go doesn't ahead. it doesn't have to be exactly that way though. That's because right. I didn't exactly. So, clone so, it. Sometimes I pretend not to. Uh, pay attention but usually i i try to be lively and uh and but the the key ingredients whatever mode you're in the key ingredient here is to make opponents comfortable yes if your opponents aren't comfortable they're not going to pay you that extra money because they're going to choose someone else see every player even the weakest opponent has discretionary money to put in in other words wherever they draw that line of how weak of a hand they'll play. They will go a little weaker sometimes still, and they'll only do that if they, you're the one that they want to play against. And that, that's the whole thing. So you make it comfortable to, uh, uh, to beat you and to lose to you, both. And, you know, I'm going to skip a little bit ahead on this same topic and say that um, one... This kind of relates. The main thing you want to do is a trick, a psychological trick I teach students. And it's um, when you first hear about this, you say, well, that's nuts. The mad genius has lost his mind. And it's simply this. Cheer for your opponents. Cheer for your opponents. If you start cheering for your opponents, you won't suffer the frustration of feeling that you're having the best, worst, the most horrible run of luck in the whole world. You'll never feel that. You won't complain. You won't feel bad. Because if you cheer for your opponents, only two things can happen. One thing is that they'll win, and then you're cheering for the right side. Yay! But if they lose you get a consolation prize. You win the pot. 
And so when you actually cheer for your opponents, you see how it won't help their cards any and it won't hurt your cards any. It will just give you the right state of mind. Because otherwise, poker can be really frustrating and very, very lonely. It's lonely out there because everybody's gone through the experience of everything going wrong at the table. You told, you gave, Donnie, you just gave me an example of a time you saw me just stacking chips. Everything was going right. Well, it doesn't always go right. And when it doesn't go right, you have a natural tendency to feel all alone. And you say, I wish I had a, I wish I could video this and show it to my friends or my spouse or something so that they could see just how bad, how horrible, what terrible stuff that is. But when you start complaining, a phenomenal thing happens, and that is your opponents, although they may express sympathy, aren't really sympathetic or empathetic. They are inspired. They say, hey, there's someone who's unluckier than I am. There's somebody I can beat, and they play better against you. So don't complain about your cards at the table. Cheer for your opponents. Root for your opponents. That's the answer. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. I, I am predominantly a mindset coach. When I first started out as a poker I, coach, yes, I, yes, I saw that on your website. I saw one of your websites, and you said that, and you you're so pretty. You're sitting there in this frame, and you push the button that little triangle because that's the international standard for starting a video, and then you talk to us and you explain all that. I actually saw that. Very good. I'm proud of you. There, that's 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 good. So, from a standpoint of a mind coach, uh, do you concur with what I just said? Absolutely, because it's your state of mind. One of the things it's interesting because when I was I started out as a poker coach, and my coaching clients about four years ago said, "Look, you're not exactly a poker coach." I said, "Oh, well." What am I? You said you're something else above that. And I said, well, fine, you make up the title. They were the ones that came out with Poker Mindset Coach. So it has to do with how you look at the game. Your state of mind is what absolutely controls your game because, first of all, poker is about you. Then poker is about the other players. And finally, it's about the cards because I like to say, well, you know, we don't need no stinking cards because you can't really get there if you don't realize how you're going to play the hand. And one of the things that that I want to ask you, and, and I think you've touched on it some, but how do people get past, what do they do when they go on tilt? How can they fix that from a mindset standpoint? Well, I think the best way not to go on tilt is back to cheering for your opponents. That's one trick. But the other is to consider poker an endless game. And, and 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 that it goes on and there's no such thing as winning or losing today it doesn't matter it's just an artificial break in the flow of your poker career so it really doesn't matter when you score the points all and and, and uh it turns out that it's it's not really your fate that is determined by you it isn't your fate that's determined by you. It's you making quality decisions. What do you get paid for in poker? You don't get paid to win pots. You ask any first-timer, amateur, even some long-time poker, you ask them what the purpose of poker is, what's the object of poker, they'll tell you to win the pot. But it isn't. 
because the players who win the most pots lose the most money. Why do they lose the most money? Because they're playing too many hands. If I wanted to win the most pots possible, I'd just play every hand till its conclusion. I'd bet and raise until we get to the river, if we get that far, and I'd win more pots than anybody in the whole history of the universe. I'd be the world champion of winning pots, but I'd lose all my money very quickly. So what does that mean? It means that clearly the object of poker isn't to win pots. It's to make correct decisions. And when you get your mind wrapped around the fact that it's the correct decisions that you're getting paid for, then you don't go on tilt. Yeah, I love that. And that's exactly, that's one of the first things that I that I start out with before any of my live one-on-one group coaching sessions that I have with my elite members is that the first thing, you need to set your intention and your intention must be to make correct decisions every time and to remain unattached to the outcome. Right. You don't even you shouldn't even care. You shouldn't even care how the luck is folding. You're exactly right in what you said. I'll take it a step further. I've taught uh, teach uh, students by sitting them down on the carpet and having them cut pictures of unknown personalities that you can imagine who they are uh, from magazines and putting them around like a dealer to be dealt cards to and these players and they start dealing the cards and I say make it fair and so they gave uh, that picture the aces two hands ago and now here's aces again we better give it to someone else and who had the queen seven and who and after about an hour you ask them are you having fun and they'll say various things but the essence of it is no and I said, uh, you know, I, is this the job that you want? And they'll say, um, no. I said, well, you don't have to have it. Leave it to somebody else. Because the job of distributing cards and making sure that fate is fair is not yours. Yours is just to be in the game making the right decisions. So now your job's a lot easier. You don't have to worry about it. You don't even have to think about it. Who cares? You either run good or you run bad. Pretend I'm behind you. Pretend Mike Carroll is behind you. And um, I'm paying you by the hour. And all you have to do is make the right decisions. You know, and if you're very bad at it and you start making poor decisions, I'll fire you. Otherwise, I'll pay. Otherwise, I'll pay you. And you know, I don't care whether you win the pot or don't win the pot. I have no interest doesn't matter to me i'm going to pay you as long as you make the right decisions and i'm there's mike carroll looking over your shoulder i am going to pay you as long as you make the right decisions well guess what that's exactly the way it really is you don't have to pretend you're going to get paid eventually as long as you make the right decisions you're absolutely correct and you know one of the the biggest challenges i find with poker players today is that poker players don't know how to play against hyper aggressive players but a lot of the a lot of the poker has changed because a lot of the young guns were were conditioned online and they become out really hyper aggressive what are some good strategy tips that you would use in general mike uh 
to help people when they're playing against hyper-aggressive players? Well, I can uh, I'll, I'll, I'll not only give you a theory, I'll tell you how to do it. The, um, Perfect. For, first, of all, first of all, you have to understand that uh, what you're calling hyper-aggressive players are not playing optimally. They're playing bad poker. They're perceive, perceived to win, but actually a lot of these players don't. And um, maybe in your game every night, there may be one or two of them that are winning, but if you follow them night to night, they're not always winning. They're making a fundamental flaw. Some of them do win simply because of the intimidation factor. Now, I was the guy who term, uh, coined the term power poker way back in the late 70s. And that was because you didn't, I believe, when you had all the answers, you didn't have to sit and wait. You could be, uh, when you came in with a pot, with a hand, you could play more pots because of your knowledge and you could play them more aggressively. That's power poker. But uh, this new breed, it's called new poker, I see, um, is worshipped. And it doesn't. It isn't even a good poker. And they say, well, you can't play new poker against old poker. New poker will win. No, new poker will not win because old poker. Once we refine the strategies, there is only one correct strategy, and that is um, a game theory strategy that works in all environments. Now we improve upon that with psychology and, and by uh, conveying images. We improve upon it. But if you had, here's the big myth. If two people play and they both play a perfect strategy, then if one person strays from that strategy by raising more often, betting more often, that's aggressive. But you don't have to adjust because that player has now strayed from perfect strategy. So now he's not raising and betting at the same proportion of times that he should be. So he's making a mistake. That player is now making a mistake, and you can capitalize on it by not adjusting at all. But you should adjust. So you will loosen up a little because and, and get even a little bit more money from him, but you won't loosen up as much as they do. So first thing you have to get in your head is that this hyper-aggression doesn't work. It can't work. It only work if you let it work. And a lot of people let it work. So how do you defeat it? Here it is. It's my formula for beating a poker bully. How do you beat a poker bully who comes in and disrupts your game with a barrage of bets and raises? How do you beat them? You call more often and you bet less often. Wait a minute. What did I leave out? Nothing. You call more often and you bet less often because now that that player who we know is making a fundamental mistake has nothing left to do but hang himself or herself. That's all. That's all you do. Because they're making this mistake, you're allowing the mistake to happen. So instead of the normal aggressive game, you don't try to get even, you don't do anything, you just call them more often and you bet at them less often, let them hang themselves. It's as simple. There's no possible, there's a, and you know that, Donna, I'm talking from a theoretical standpoint here. I've done all the research. I've run 
hundreds of millions of hands. I've created computer programs. I've analyzed databases. I know, you know, I know the answer is what it is. I don't do guesswork. I never do guesswork. And and there's no possible defense you can program for that. So when you're against a hyper-aggressive player, call more often, bet less often, and you'll send him home whimpering to his mommy. Why, oh, why, I love that. that that's that's so great. And, you know, it, it's it's just why you said originally that it's it's good to be drawn out on. It's good to be drawn out on because, you know, it happens when people are trying to well, do that. Well, it, here's why it's good to be drawn out on. It's also for a, not just for a psychological reason, for a very powerful uh, mathematical reason, a scientific reason. The reason it's good to be drawn out on, people complain about getting drawn out on. They had to, well, the stronger players go in a bigger percentages of the hands they play with the best hand. That means your opponents can only win by drawn out on. They can only win by drawing out on you. There's no other escape for them. But that's why they draw out on you more than you draw out on them. So the larger proportion of the hands you play that you are drawn out on, the better the poker that you're playing, the more superior you are. So the best players in the world get drawn out on the most relative to the number of hands they play. So that's a good sign. It's good to be drawn out on. That means you're doing something right. You had the best hand. I like that. I like that. And one of the things that I guess there's questions that I keep getting that I'd really like to have your input on, and it has to do with how the game changes, what what they need, what players need to do as the game changes. I'm thinking specifically about tournament play. And one of the questions is, how is the best way to bet most effectively in tournaments? Well, in the traditional tournament, which is uh, a tournament of... Um proportional payouts, we call them. You need to do something different than you do in everyday real-world tournaments. I mean, real-world games. You have, to, you have to change up because what you do in the real world is you go after every penny's worth of profit. Every penny. It doesn't matter. Even if you have the tiniest edge, you go after it. And so you acquire a lot of finesses. But these finesses go out the window in tournaments, and I'm going to tell you why in a second, and you have to reduce your risk in tournament. By the way, anybody who reduces risk in a regular poker game is nuts. People raise with aces a lot of times. They say, I want to get people out because I want to salvage my hand. I want to protect my hand. You don't want to protect your hand in poker. That's That's a misconception. The object of playing winning poker is to take risks at an advantage. It's to invite risk, not to avoid risk. So anytime you're in a regular poker game trying to avoid risk, you're doing the wrong thing. You're supposed to invite risk as long as you have an advantage. But in a tournament, it's backwards because of the proportional payout. The proportional payout penalizes you for winning a tournament. 
because first place gathers all the chips, all of them. He won them all. But then he's penalized because he has to give them most of them back to players already conquered. He has to give some to Sally. He has to give some to Sue, some to Jimmy. They, they all get paid even though the winner of the tournament won all the chips. So that's a penalty. And what does that mean mathematically? It means you have to structure a strategy that is based on survival. And that means specifically that all your flamboyant pay plays, your, your finesses, uh, your most aggressive plays go out the window and you play much tighter. And that's how to adapt from a regular poker game to a tournament is to play to survive, to make the money, to, to make your profit from the penalty that being first place may, uh, has to pay. Hope, hope to win first place, but you're going to have to stumble into it rather than target it. And that's the difference between a regular ring game and a proportional payout tournament. And that's why I don't play tournaments. I mean, I, I'm an egomaniac. I, I think if I played, you know, the whole tournament circuit, uh, you know, I only play one one hundredth as many. One one hundredth. That's, uh, that's an actual figure because I only play a few a year and other people play 300 a year events. And um, I like to think that uh, I like to tell people that, uh, you know, if I were out there playing all these tournaments, I would have the best record of anyone on earth. And I don't care if, you know, well, because if I go out there and try to prove it, I might fail because there's a lot of luck involved. But if I just announce it, then maybe a few people will believe me and then I don't have to go out there and go to all that trouble. <laughs> well, talk about the fact that you have to constantly shift gears in tournament because you do. You can't just, you can't be so tight. If, you, if you're so tight, what's going to happen is, is you're, your chips are just going to leak away. Doesn't and, and, matter. I don't. I. I, I don't uh, agree with that. Okay. Can we disagree? Sure. Will Absolutely. we still be? Will we still be friends? Absolutely. If we disagree, that's 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 fine with it. Because I don't believe that I can completely tighten up. I have to be able to shift my gears based on the circumstance and the situation. It's like the feng shui at the poker table. Yeah, How that should. energy changes. You shouldn't. Uh, well, I I don't see there 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 you're being silly again because now we've we we got all through this almost to the end. Now we agree with two things. We just <laughs> I mean we agreed with everything. Now we have two disagreements. One okay. is one, one one is the shifting gears of the tournament. Uh, you should adjust your style somewhat based on uh, the quality of the players that you're against, and they tend to get stronger and stronger as the as more the weaker players are eliminated. Mm -hmm. And at first you can, uh, when people first start down at the beginning of a tournament, you can try to bluff them more uh, because they're, you know, they're kind of geared down. And as you approach the money, people are gearing down again. So there's another opportunity to bluff. But other than that, you should just play simply for survival. And it doesn't matter if you ante away your tournament. It doesn't matter because each one of those situations is independent of all others, and so your best choice is often to sit and wait. The other thing I disagree with you about is just words that annoy me, and those are... Uh, uh, Go ahead, which one? Well, it's a compound word, feng shui. <laughs> oh, feng shui. Feng shui. 
let me ask you, how is the best way for a player to handle a short stack later in a tournament? Well, when you have a short stack, your chips are worth more per chip than they are if you have a large stack and that's only and that, that that statement is only true of a proportional payoff tournament where where first place gets so much second place gets so much and so forth um it's it's not true of other type of pay it wouldn't be true in a winner pay all pay, take all tournament and it wouldn't be uh true in a pure shootout tournament where the winner of each table gets paid uh, but it is in most proportional payout tournaments where uh, where first place gets 30%, second place gets uh, 15% down down the line. Now, now you want to survive. So short stacks are important because they they're important in survival. You can actually and this is another thing people don't understand about short stacks. If you start with $10,000 in chips in a tournament. If after three days the average stack is of the remaining players is now two million dollars or four million dollars, and you have ten thousand dollars, you have to understand you're better off than when the tournament started because you have the same amount of money you had when you started, and yet all kinds of people have been eliminated. Now your chance of getting into the money is much greater than it was when you started. Also, mathematic. Your your chance of winning the tournament is the same as when it started because it's always the amount of money in cumulative that is against you versus the money that you control. That is always your odds against winning. Um, well, there, if it, there, there, were, there are a couple factors that, that mess okay, with Okay, go ahead. There are yep, a couple go. factors that make that impure, what I just said, because there is such a thing as short stacks having actually a better chance because they can go all in and then they don't have to fold. So they'll see some showdowns that you would have thrown away. You would have thrown your hand away otherwise. And there's some other factors. It's not pure, but in general, your chances of winning are proportional to the number of chips you control against the number of chips against you at all stages. So it doesn't matter if you're late in the tournament or early in the tournament. But if you still have ten thousand uh, dollars in chips, you have the same chances you started with of winning the tournament, of winning first place, and you're much better off because you have a much better chance of getting into the money. So if you are, if you're at the bubble, and you're right at the bubble, playing the bubble, yeah. one player left, the one player that busts out now will not be paid. The next player will come into the pay. So what's the most effective way to play that bubble? Do I don't work I don't worry about the bubble. It's just another position. It's just a position if you go out on the bubble, you just <clears throat> it's just another payment. It's just zero dollars is all it is. It's just the same as any other position. Uh I don't worry about it. In fact the bubble is a very good opportunity since everybody's playing so extremely tight to leverage some degree of aggression and steal some pods. And I agree with that as well. And and it has to be the fact that, that you do look for opportunities, you do look for situations to make moves, but again, you have to separate yourself and stay detached from the outcome. I think that's probably one of the most important parts of our game. Well, the bubble, the, the bubble is, Donna, is one of the most misplayed parts of a tournament because 
people psychologically attach much more significance to it than it deserves. It's just another position. I mean, uh, how much sacrifice are you willing to make to end up in 35th place if they're paying 35 places or 36 or whatever? I agree. And, and let's look at one last thing before we close tonight is what is the most effective way to play the final table? Let's say you're at the final table, not saying you have how many chips you have, but what mindset do you think people should have when they go to the final table? Well, as I said, I don't play many tournaments, so I don't know what mindset they have. Uh, the last time was about that I played a seven-stud tournament. It was about at the World Series of Poker uh, seven years, six years ago or something. I did made the final table there, and my mindset... I don't know what their mindset is, but my mindset was no different than throughout any other phase of the tournament. Uh, There's still, uh, I, I, I'm wishing it were just a winner take all, and you can uh, you can go, you can play your best cards all the time, but you can't. You have to play for survival. So even at the poker, even at the final table, you play to survive. That's it. So they, so you throw away some opportunities that would make money in a real-world game in order to target the higher prize money, uh, the penalty that the first-place player is going to pay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, so all through a tournament, it doesn't matter what stage you're at at a tournament, you're still playing tighter than usual, and you're playing to survive. And that's what I don't like about tournaments. Do you understand why I don't play them now? I don't play them because a tournament should be about winning the championship. I believe I'm the best player out there, so I want a chance to prove it. So I don't want to be penalized for trying to win first place, and that's exactly what these tournaments do. They penalize you for going after first place. Mm-hmm. That's that's why they're not tournaments, in my opinion. They're just events. And I think that that's one of the things that I'd like people to take away from from our chat today, Mike, is that you can be more profitable in cash games today with a particular mindset and that that Mike shared with us and that I've my game has changed over the years and I have a much better opportunity to cash positively in cash games than I did 15 years ago when I started and I want to thank you for that Mike Caro because you have blessed me you have been a a, a role model for me and I really appreciate that. And it's okay if we don't agree with everything. That's okay. I'm fine well, with that. Yeah, because... But that that means there's holes in your thinking that you have to correct. <laughs> and uh, you have complimented me a great deal. I appreciate that. And, and I will tell you that one of my main aspirations over the last few days anyway has been to be on Big Girl Poker Chat. And I made it. Well, Mike, that's wonderful. And I want to remind everyone that they can go and read oodles of stuff from I Mike Cairo. I have at, something else to plug. That way you don't oh. have to talk about my – I am endorsing something yeah. where you can train online okay. called Advanced Poker Training. You can go to advancedpokertraining.com. I'm endorsing that. And you can play like 500 hands an hour and test – your skills and get all kinds of reports 
Um, it's something that I uh, fell upon. I think yeah, everybody can check it out. Uh, advancedpokertraining.com. That's not my website, uh, but I highly recommend it, and I am endorsing it. My website, remember, is poker1number1.com. And now I wrote all over you in order to get those in because I see I didn't have them checked off my list here, Donna. And now I'll leave it to you to wrap it up. For on, This is Mike Carroll signing off, listening to Donna now on Big Girl Poker Chat. I'm done. <laughs> well, I hope you can say bye in just a minute, Mike, because... I want to remind everyone, yep, this is Donna Plevins. <laughs> you can find me on uh with on my on my blog, biggirlpoker.com. You can listen to uh, from iTunes all of our the chats, Big Girl Poker Chat. It actually picked up by iTunes. I'm really thrilled with that. Or I want to remind you you can pick up two free training modules that I've recorded live. And I put them on pokerpureandsimple.com. That's actually one of my another one of my sites, and that's where I have a membership, an elite membership organization of coaching, where you are able to get monthly, three times monthly coaching and private coaching, and it's just a really good program. But the three, the, the two free training modules have been well received. I've been told by people who have listened to them that they've been able to turn their game into a winning game. So, Mike Carroll, I want to say thank you so much for sharing this time with me. You are an absolute treat. I look forward to the time when I can give you a big girl hug, Mike. Oh, I look forward to getting it. Now is what now I get to say bye, right? Yeah, you get to say bye now. <laughs> bye. <laughs> Bye-bye everybody. This is Donna Blevins from Big Girl Poker Chat. Bye now. <laughs>